Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. And as you probably know by now, unless it's your first time, this is my fireside chat, my fire, my side, my dog, and very rarely I have a guest. So what I do, it's a rather special person, as you will find out in a moment. I just want to tell you that this fireside chat is sponsored by thinker.org, T-H-I-N-K-R, no E in thinker. And uh, what they do is they they give you, in, in a nutshell form, as it were, great books. It's a terrific way to have some acquaintance with some of the greatest books ever written and, and currently published as well. And then, obviously, if you want, you'll get the whole book. But it is a very good way of staying in touch with what is important. You can read or listen to hundreds of titles, including uh, my dear friend Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. So you go to thinker.org, T-H-I-N-K-R.org, to start a free trial. And as they say, put your mind in motion, which is pretty much what I like to do here. And now my guest, we're on camera, everybody has seen. And uh, uh, Brandon Tatum is uh, extremely well known, which by the way, in and of itself doesn't mean anything. I've, as I've always said, the famous are rarely significant and the significant are rarely famous. But he is famous and significant. <laughs> that's that's the point. Thank you. I, I like that. I'm going to start using that. Yeah. Okay, just quote me. I will. No, I will. no, 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 it's quite all right. I'll give you credit I, I, for yeah. it, I promise. <laughs> so this is a former uh, police officer in, in Tucson, Arizona, correct? That's yes, where you, you were in the Tucson police force. And you now produce your own uh, video channel, your, your own video casts, podcasts, you're creating a channel, but Otto is very excited, by the way, because <laughs> he is not used to guests. It's usually just Otto and myself, but he took a liking to you very yeah, quickly. Yeah, I, I like him too. He's you cool. do? I'll He's tell cool. him. I'll tell him. When he wakes up, I'll tell him. Anyway, uh, you're doing really magnificent work, uh, which is why I want more and more people to know about you. So uh, I'm curious, whenever I meet a black conservative, uh, I, I have a series of immediate questions. One is, how does your family react to you? Mm, it's very interesting. You know, my mom, she she loves what I do. My mom is a, she would consider herself a Trump supporter now, listening to me uh, rant on my videos. My dad is, I'm working on him. I'm working on him a little bit. He seems to be going down the path of conservatism. He He cannot stand President Trump at this point. So hopefully, you know, he come around. My immediate family, they're not really engaged in explaining to me whether they like what I do or not. So it's mostly just my mom and Oh, dad. so you're not getting flack. They don't say it to my face. Now, <laughs> I, I could only imagine <laughs> so that they So you might don't, be getting flack, but not to your face. I could only imagine that they don't like what I'm saying. Really? I mean, just based on growing up, um, being told to be a Democrat, and I'm sure they're all Democrat by default, and the things that I say kind of push against the narrative and push against some of the things that they still do some of the victimhood things that some people in my family still abide by. So I could imagine that they don't like what I what I say sometimes, but they've never said it to my face. Given how much good, let's talk pre-COVID, given how much good has been achieved for blacks in America under President Trump, even if you hate his guts, why doesn't, we'll take the black community, why doesn't a black ask, gee, have I done better? under Trump or under Democrats, or, or that for that matter, Republicans before Donald Trump. What stops a black from asking this most basic question? I think it's emotionalism, right? I think a lot of people are driven by emotions. So if they can't connect with these uh, accomplishments that Trump has done emotionally, then they're not going to accept them as being um, factual or applicable to their lives. Um, so when you have celebrities come out and they say, well, no, he's a racist, that drives a person emotionally to feel some type of way about President Trump, and therefore they can't accept nothing that he does. It doesn't even matter what he does, they can't accept it. And Barack Obama um, in the community, based on things that happened in the media, things from celebrities like I mentioned before, I think Barack Obama captured a lot of black people's hearts. And so no matter what he did, even if it was bad, you, they still felt some type of way about right. uh, liking President Barack Obama, and therefore accepting the things that he did. So people will go with emotions before their own job. I believe that they will. They yeah, will. I believe so too. Mm -hmm. The power of emotion is, is uh, 
is very, very disconcerting part of the human condition. Just, I always go into some philosophical <laughs> thought for a moment. Okay, so you grew up where? Fort Worth, Texas. And you moved to Tucson? When I was 18, I was an All-American football player in high school. I got a scholarship to play football in all over the country. I had a scholarship everywhere, but I decided to play at the University of Arizona. Uh, coach Mark Stoops was a coach that I liked. Coach Mike Stoops was his brother. They were great football coaches. I decided to go to Arizona, and I left my family and became a man. Did you ever think of, of trying to be an NFL player? Yeah, that was my dream. I, I, I knew I was going to the NFL, 100%. I knew I was going. But then it fell apart at some point. So. Why? Well, some of it had to do with the fact that I wasn't mature. I don't think I was mature going to college. I had a terrible attitude. And other things, I think, that God had a plan for me different than what, what I thought my life should be. So football didn't, didn't work out the way I, I planned it. Well, I will tell you that right now I, I have such revulsion at the NFL <laughs> that I have, uh, I have actually asked my listeners not to watch NFL games and not to attend NFL games. Mm -hmm. So I want to bounce my, my reasoning off you. Uh, I don't understand why one would cheer for people who have utter contempt for them. Uh, to be called a racist is about as bad a thing as you could be called. I, I don't, I mean, maybe child molester is on a lower level, but right. you'd have to go to child molester to get worse than racist. I'm a Jew. Six million Jews were killed in the name of anti-Jewish racism. So I loathe racism on a personal level, let alone for uh, uh, blacks or anyone else. So if you call someone a racist who isn't, you're a scumbag. Right. That, that's my view. Just as if you're called a rapist and you're not, or you're called a murderer and you're not. So why would people, uh, we now have NFL player after NFL player and the NFL commissioner saying all whites are racist, <laughs> which is one of the most absurd, aside from evil ideas I've ever heard. Why would I root for people who have such contempt for me? Yeah, I think it's, I will never watch the NFL again. Um, nobody that I love, I would never direct them to the NFL. I think these players should be ashamed of themselves and the commissioner because the America, and this is an American sport, the NFL football, everybody watch it on Sunday and they watch college football as well. But on Sunday is routine, especially growing up in Texas. We always watch football, but for them to show so much contempt and hatred towards the American flag to disrespect the national anthem is appalling to me. And I think that people should stop supporting them, withdraw their support. If you have season tickets, uh, one of my good friends has season tickets to the Arizona Cardinals game for 26 years. He said, enough is enough. So what is he doing with his tickets? I'm very curious. Well, he just didn't renew them. He didn't renew them. Uh -huh. And um, I heard a lot of other people quit renewing their tickets as well. But these, these people are shameful. I mean, they are not representing our country well. They're lying to people on a day-to-day -day basis. You're, they're making millions upon millions of dollars. Even league minimum, you're making almost a half a million dollars a year and you don't, you don't even have to play on the football field. And they are claiming to be oppressed. They are claiming that this country is doing them wrong and I think it's shameful. And I can't watch them. I won't support them. And, and I'm disgusted by football. Well, the NBA is not far behind. They're going to have Black Lives Matter uh, painted on the courts uh, wherever Disney owns a stadium, for example, with the, uh, with the Orlando Magic, for example. Uh, can you can one imagine if if uh, some owner decided you know well since we're going to start painting messages on the court I, I would like to say uh, abortion kills would would uh, would the NBA stand for that I mean would the country I mean can you imagine yeah, that no they wouldn't well so why is why isn't the purpose of sports, the biggest purpose, aside from the, the joy of playing, to unite people in a non-political arena? Right. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's derangement. I don't, I don't know if it's because of Trump. I don't know if it's because I, I can't put my finger on the reason why they're going down this path. They, the NFL lost a tremendous amount of money last year doing the same thing with players kneeling. Then they try to, uh, I guess, fix the cause by saying, if you don't, if you kneel during national anthem, you're going to be fined. And now they're just going full crazy. And the NFL is having players that are promising to kneel. 
the NBA is doing a similar thing by putting Black Lives Matter on the court side and they're going to lose a tremendous amount of money. And I don't understand why they why they care more about social justice than they do about revenue and keeping us. Well, going. OK, so here is my theory. And tell me, I have no idea if I'm right. So uh, it's Drew Brees, right? He's the, yeah, the, the quarterback, quarterback for the, Saints. The, the New Orleans Saints. So one, literally in a day, he went from, <laughs> I just think we should honor our flag. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a symbol of, of our country. I adore it. To the next day, boy, was I wrong. I, I now heard my fellow players' uh, 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 agony and boy, was I wrong. It is the best thing to kneel for that flag and then so on. So here, so what? It's obvious he doesn't believe a word he said. By the way, and if he does, then then it, it's it's even stronger. My theory. What happened? So I assume fellow players on the team, many of whom were black, said, "Hey, Drew, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, you don't you don't realize how terrible it is for blacks. You're you're tone deaf to what's happening. We love you, man, but you can't say this sort of thing." So, do you think that's what happened? Well, I think uh, some of it, I think Drew had to weigh his options. Do you want to be a Hall of Famer or not? Do you want your family legacy to be this way or not? Because they're going to destroy you if you stand on that principle. I listened to what he said, and what he said was brilliant. He not only brought up the fact that he had um, his grandfather and father or something, or father, grandfather and great-grandfather served in the military, he also mentioned that we as a country have come together and we have improved the civil rights movement, all of the things that we've done together, we've done it and all of that is represented in the flag and the national anthem. And he didn't say that people shouldn't. He said, this is the reason why I will not. And I, I definitely believe that some players probably came to him, players that he loved, players that he played with, won some games with, said, hey, man, you can't say that. It's offensive to me. On top of the mob at the top. Right. So, so in effect, okay, I didn't think of the Hall of Fame issue. So what if he had said the next day, you know, a lot of my players don't, or my fellow players don't agree. Uh, I, I stand by my conviction that that flag represents nobility. I had relatives who fought for it. They had friends who died for it. I stand by what I said, but it's obvious that it's untenable situation to have a quarterback in tension with his fellow players. So I will just be leaving the sport. God bless you all. <laughs> what would have happened? Man, I, for conservatives, I mean, for me, I would have called him a hero. For you to hold your conviction and say, you know what, I'm not disrespecting the flag no matter what. My respect for this country is bigger than the game of football. Right. I mean, I think I think people would have loved him. I think people would have loved him more That's right. for him doing that than, That's right. than the hate he got um, from standing up for the flag. Well, it, it's painful. It is painful. You know... Uh, there's no reason you would know this, but for for decades I have been saying on my radio show and elsewhere that the, the rarest of the good traits is courage. Mm -hmm. But, and most people don't have courage, but you have to have a certain percentage of your population that has courage or your civilization dies. And he had a, a chance to do something great and blew it. Yeah, I think there's not just him, there's a tremendous amount of individuals. Barack Obama was one of them, had a chance to do something great. Um, he was the first black president. I think everybody on planet Earth, I mean, I don't know, I, I wasn't a conservative my whole life, but I would think that everybody was like, you know what? You know, this country has proven to the world that a black man can be a president right. in, in less than a half a century right. after Jim Crow, and he could have brought people together. Right. I mean, I see this happen so many times. Police chiefs around the country have an opportunity to do something great. Football players, LeBron James, celebrities, all these people have an opportunity to do something great if they can stand on something. I don't understand why they cower. You know, I've learned that if you stand on principle and you have courage and you have integrity, at the end of the day, you will be on top. That's correct. And, and I've seen it with my own that, platform. That, that is exactly right. The reason why I have, I've had so many subscribers and, and followers and people meet me at the airport saying, you know, I love what you do. Hey, can I pray for you? I mean, people that, I, that I, I'm flying to different states that I don't live in is because I stood on principle. That's right. That's correct. In the, in the long run, that, 
that is what is remembered. Drew Brees won't be remembered now. No. That, that's, that's exactly right. By the way, talking about you're walking through airports, do you ever get uh, angry reactions uh, no. in public? I've never had an angry reaction in public. Um, sometimes I wear my MAGA hat, never had anybody say anything negative. I had one threat that was a third party type of threat. I was on an airplane, I just left, I think, a Turning Point USA event. And uh, a young lady recognized me, and I guess the gentleman that was sitting next to her in the back of the plane um, had made mention that he was going to have words with me or assault me when he got off the plane. So she walks up um, to the middle of the plane where I was sitting, and she told me, hey, just so you know, this guy that's sitting next to me, you know, he, he said he's going to have words with you and get off the plane. I just want you to be safe. And I'm like, well, good luck to him. You know, I hope you know how to fight. But I get off the plane. <laughs> And I wait. Maybe he didn't see you standing he up. He didn't. Yeah. I guess he thought I was a 5'5 five five or, or something like that. I don't know what he was thinking. I get off the plane and I wait because I don't want the guy to punch me in the back of the head or nothing. So I wait for everybody to get off you the plane. You know who the guy was? Did Never, you see that? Oh. She told me because she was sitting next to him. So she was the last one to get off. She ended up telling me, but I waited. Not one person even looked at me. Right. And, and it was one black guy that got off the back of the plane. And I was like... I wonder, is it that guy? Because I know a lot of black people hate me for what for what I stand for. And uh, sure enough, it was him. And she mm -hmm. go, it was that guy. And that dude didn't even look at me. Right, exactly. For multiple reasons, but I'm glad he yeah. did. And I didn't want to have to do the that. The reason I asked, it's interesting, because I get that question a lot. I, I get a lot of people come over to me. Uh, and never has somebody come over to me, well, once, ironically, in the locker room of my uh, of my gym. Oh, no. <laughs> Guy started screaming <laughs> curses at me. And uh, it's a great story because I actually, uh, the second time he did it, I, I took his photo. Oh, wow. And I told the management, either this guy is kicked out of the gym or I leave. And they kicked him out of the gym oh, that day. Good. Yes. Good. Uh, it, it, but uh, it's very rare, interestingly, that we get it uh, in person, yeah. On the internet, uh, I am sure you're you're just uh, oh, massacred. inundated with. People so what is it, Uncle Tom? Is that the usual? Uncle Tom, bootlicker, sellout. Um, they they say all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've 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 lost track of all the names that they call me. I hate my race. I'm a race traitor. I mean, they say some of the craziest stuff. They say stuff to my wife. Is is? Do you know the last time race traitor was used that I and I know my history was the Nazis used it. Wow. If you were anti-Nazi, you were called a race traitor. Wow. You were a traitor to the Aryan race. So it, the pedigree of race traitor is evil. Yeah. It is is genocidal evil. So just know that if you're ever called race traitor, ask them, are you a Nazi? Right. Because they're the people who coined that term. Well, even coon. They called me a coon. You know, back in the day, um, black people were, I guess, the food that they had to eat, which was things that nobody else wanted to eat, the slaves. Um, they had to eat raccoon meat. Um, and so a, a derogatory term against black people back in the day was that you were coon because mm -hmm. you, you were you were so low that you eat raccoon meat. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now black people call each other that all the time, even the N-word. I didn't know the origins of mm -hmm. it. And, and blacks will call blacks coons? Now they yeah. call them coons. Yeah. You're, you're a raccoon. Right. Okay. Well, that, be that as it may. <laughs> all right. So I want to remind everybody, this is Brandon Tatum, who's, uh, how long were you a police officer? Six and a half years. Sorry? Six and a half Six years. Six and a half years. And why did you leave? I think it was a, a calling on my life. I think God called me to do something different. Um, it started with a video that went viral about Colin Kaepernick. And I ripped him. I was, in, I was in my car, in the garage, no AC in my car. I'm sweating. I got my SWAT hat on. And I'm just ripping him a new one for his disrespect of the national anthem and our American flag. And never thought in a million years that video would go viral. It ended up having 70 million views. A couple um, online stations reached out to me, and the rest is history. That's right. The rest is history. When you, you refer a lot to God calling in your life, so I take it you're a Christian. I am. And uh, were you raised a Christian? Yes. Oh, so you, you, you didn't come to Christ, as it were, uh, later in life. Well, let me say it like this. Um, we were in the church, but the church wasn't in us. So we would show up. We'll go on Sundays. Right. We'll do the whole religious so, so routine. So you were born again, as it were. Born again when yes. I was at two, in 2008 when I was in college. And and who influenced you? Or or is it just something you came to on your own? It was it was kind of like seeds that were planted when I was younger. You know, I always God was always in my consciousness. Right. And when football didn't work out for me, I mean, it's typically how people find God is that when things aren't going right in your life, you can, you kind of look to a higher power. So I said, you know what, let me rule God out. I mean, my, my thought process is I was going to rule God out. Let me see if he's real because I'm at a crossroads. 
And um, I started to go to church. That's the first thing I knew. I'm just going to go to church and see what's going on. Went to a few churches, didn't like it. And I went to the church that I got saved in, Emmanuel Grace Apostolic Church. They hugged me. I felt like I was at home. And uh, I got was saved. It, was it a mixed race church? No, it was all black. Now, do you do you attend church now? We just started going to a church in Phoenix. Right. And and is it mixed race, black, white? Mostly white. Mostly it's, white. It's, it's, it's not all so white. I'm going to tell you something, and I'd love you to react to it. And I always tell people, whenever I've interviewed 1,000 people, 2,000 people, if you differ with me, don't, don't hesitate <laughs> to say so. Seriously, it's okay. very important. Uh, I'm a Jew, but I, uh, uh, not but, and I speak a great deal to uh, Christian groups in many churches and, and elsewhere. And I, I observe people very keenly. And I, I would have to say that nowhere do I see blacks and whites as easy, as in ease with one another and, and even loving one another as I do uh, with, with Christian pastors, that's usually I speak to more than laymen, uh, because they're all Christian Race doesn't matter. Yeah, is is that fair to say? Yeah, in the Christian faith, there's no white and black, right? Green and brown heaven. So right, as <clears throat> as there isn't. Uh, when I I studied Judaism all my life in Hebrew, and I was taught in third grade in yeshiva, Jewish uh, religious school, is a very famous Hebrew phrase. Why did God create only one person to begin with? And then typical Jewish way of learning: you ask a question and then answer it to teach us that no one can say, my roots are more important than your roots. And Adam had no race. Is Adam black? Is Adam white? Is Adam swarthy? Is Adam Indian? No one gives a damn. So now we're told that the the, the ideal of colorblind is racist. Right. (laughs) It's it's, it's Orwellian. It's an upside down world. So when you tell me your church is, is largely white and, and the ease and the comfort that you have, uh, or, or with black Christians, the comfort that you would have, it's irrelevant because right. you share God. Well, in the kingdom of God, man, there's no race. That, that's we're right. All, we're, yes. all, we're all children of God. Yes. At the end of the day, you're going to go to judgment and, and God is not going to sit up there right. and say, well, you're black, so you yeah. get a special privilege. You're going you're to have affirmative action <laughs> affirmative to get into heaven. Action into heaven. It's not going to happen up there. So yes. you might want to practice, you know, while you're here to, 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 to look at people. And that's what changed me was that when I got saved, um, I was baptized. I was filled with God's spirit. And all of that race stuff went out the window. I just let it go. I felt like God healed my heart from even evaluating people based on race. And it was more like, you know, we all God's children and I'm gonna evaluate you on the fruits, evaluate you on your character. And and I've been like that ever since. And I think that's made me successful in life. What do you, what do, you do with the charge that uh, America is a racist country, systemically racist, all whites are racist? How do you process that? I think it's BS, man. It, it makes me angry because I know a lot of white people that have been tremendously kind to me. And, and, and I, I don't I don't have that same viewpoint. And I think it's cheap and people don't want to have real conversations. So they blanket things as systemic like they can't point out a racist person or racist institution. They can't point out the individuals so we can remove them. Um, so what they say is systemic. It's something that we cannot find out and it can you know happen in perpetuity. I think it's a cheap way of not having a real conversation about differences or about things that can be improved. You know, as a black man in this country for 33 years, and you know, I've never dealt with racism. I never dealt with no with any oppression. You know, everything that I've got in my life came from hard work. And I've had I never had anybody hold me back unless I was holding myself back. The, the main person that can, or, or the main oppression in this country, in my personal opinion, is in the mind and in your own behaviors. If you want to live an oppressed life, you want to, you know, uh, project that on other individuals, then go ahead. But if you want to be successful, you got to lead that stuff aside. All right, aside. so I, I just got to ask, because this is a pressing <laughs> issue now. Uh, you're, you're living in a house, not an apartment? Right, correct. Okay, here it goes. Does your house have a master bedroom? Yeah, <laughs> a master suite is what we got. It does. It's, it has a master suite. Yeah. and I have never, and, and not one minute. You don't find that uh, invoking slavery images. Not one minute have I cared. 
And, I, you know, actually, when we buy a house and when God bless us to have a bigger house, I want a an even bigger master bedroom. That's what I want to tell these individuals. I, I, can't I heard people talking about it. And Is that unbelievable? It's, it, it, it's crazy to it, me. No, no, I know. It, like, so my key, the, the key to my house, the one that's the main key, which is the master key. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that now is that going to be a problem? I mean, people are, they're, they're becoming so ignorant. Well, you know, I want to just bounce this off you. I think you'll enjoy this. This is, I, I am working on arguments slash proofs that America is not a racist society. Of course, there are racists in it, but it's not a racist society. And one of them is, if it were really racist, you wouldn't have to make up nonsense. Right. Right? Right. The nooses will be real. And two <laughs> MAGA supporters beating up a black man in Chicago <laughs> yes. will be a real happening. Right. Or even, even these people, mayors and, and governors who are getting pulled over by police and, and claiming things that are not true at all. I mean, you shouldn't have to make it up. It should just be hitting you in the face every day, but it's not true. What's the, what's the, uh, what is the um, uh, driving while black? What's the story on that? Have you been stopped uh, uh, no. disproportionately? No, I haven't. And when I was a cop, I never stopped anybody just because of the color of their skin. I mean, if you want to be honest, you can't even see the color of somebody's skin when you're uh, in a patrol car. Thank you. I, I, I'm shaking because I, I argued this the whole <laughs> I have tested myself. <laughs> Can I really have, while right. driving, can I see the, certainly behind, officers come from behind. Right. How can you possibly know unless, you, maybe, so I even check and I see the person's race in the side view mirror. For first of all, 12 hours a day when it's dark, you can't, there's not even a chance. Right. But even then, I, I can't even make out most of the people as I pass them. Right. I mean, because and you got to think as a, as a police officer, you're not looking at the person as much as you're looking at the violation, looking right. at other signs and symptoms on a vehicle, or you're looking at the license plate. I mean, the first thing you got to do is you got to run the license plate. Your first, your eyes not going to the person is going to the plate. Okay, everything is good. Driving behaviors, are they good or are they bad? I mean, it doesn't benefit you to pull somebody over just because of the color of their skin, because anybody that have done any work or service knows that you cannot paint everybody with a broad brush. If you only pulled over black people, you are missing a tremendous amount of drugs, you are missing a tremendous amount of DUIs, right. and you're not gonna be a successful By police By the officer. way, for the record, for those on the left monitoring all of my uh, utterances, I do not deny that on occasion there are indeed racist cops. Of course there are. There are racist doctors, racist lawyers, racist plumbers, racist ball players. There are bad people in every group, but that this is quote unquote systemic uh, is uh, is just difficult to believe uh, ipso facto the, the, in the the logic of itself because it's not easy to know the race of the driver. And I just wanted to bounce that 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 off you. So imagine you could speak to every young black in America uh, for a half a minute or a minute. What would you say? I would say stop believing a lie. These people are going to get you killed. You know, treat the police officer the way you want to be treated. If you don't want people paying you with a broad brush, you don't want individuals looking at you and, and, and projecting something on you because of what another black man did, then don't do that with the police officer. Give them a fair shake. Because a person killed somebody in Minneapolis, that does not mean that the police officer that's dealing with you today um, is here to kill you. Also, hold yourself accountable first. I don't want to hear any excuses. If you're going over the speed limit, you get pulled over. I don't want to hear any excuses about you getting pulled over or harassed because you're black. If you're following the law, I can, I'll, I'll stick with you. But if you're breaking the law, I don't want to hear any excuses. Well, you were an officer for, for six years, you said? Six and a half. Yeah. So uh, a lot of your fellow officers were white, obviously. I just assume in, in Tucson. Most of them, yeah, Most of them right. were white. How did you find them as people? great people. I feel like police officers are exceptional. They're not just average people. You have to be exceptional. You have to be dedicated. You have to have integrity. All of those things, you have to make it through the academy and also field training, which I train new officers on the department. So you can't just be a regular person, just, you know, run of the mill individual. So most of the people that I knew were exceptional. They're willing to put their lives on the line for other people that they did not know. And many of the police officers that I work with, they had families. I knew their families. I knew their little kids, some of them, you know, freshly born and go to work every day and willing to risk it all for people that don't could care less. And there were some great people that, that cared about our service, but there's a lot of people who could care less about us or even their own lives. And to see somebody be able to put that uniform on and do that on a day to day basis, 
I mean, that's an exceptional individual. Do you get a chance to talk to young people live? I mean, obviously with the virus, it's, it's not possible. What is it, Otto? Is everything okay? <laughs> well, he's really, uh, I think uh, he's, he's worked up by the subject. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's intense. His, uh, his brown body is getting, I don't know if he's triggered by the police officer. <laughs> huh? If he had black in him, I'll say black and brown body, but. No, 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 I understand. <laughs> uh, yes. The, see, do dogs are uh, colorblind. Right. Uh, which is really, uh, we got to teach them. That, right. Uh, it's not to be is exactly right. So do you get a chance to speak to young people? I do a lot on my live stream. I, the last live stream I did had 10,000 people watching at one time for almost two hours. Um, I do speak at, at universities all around yeah, the country. I, I think you should get to universities. I, I think it would be a really healthy thing. Yeah. If, if of course, they would even allow it. it well, you, you are the worst for them. I mean, we who are not black and are conservative, and I say not black, not even white, because Dinesh D'Souza is, is Indian American, not, not Native American, Indian India, and uh, they hate his guts. Mm -hmm. so, the, but, so he doesn't, but he doesn't pose a threat, even though he's not white, like, like, like you would. That he, the, there is no hatred like the hatred of a black conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that I, I check a lot of boxes to tear down the, the infrastructure or the brainwashing that they push um, through mainstream media, you know, I grew up in you know a variety of a variety of areas, but I grew up in the hood in Fort Worth, Texas. But I became a police officer. I obviously played college football. I mean, I, I've done a lot of things. I I was a I was a Democrat before. Now I'm a conservative. I've been to the White House five times. Like they, if I were to go out and tell my story, I think that it would resonate with a lot of young people, and they will begin to connect. And they'll connect the dots and see that, you know what, maybe I'm being lied to. But you have to overcome what apparently is a very powerful drive, which the, the left creates, like, like coal miners create coal or bring out coal. They bring this out. And that is two things which are very destructive, anger and victimhood. Mm -hmm. And... The irony is everyone who is angry and everyone who thinks he's a victim is an unhappy human being. Right. So just on the happiness issue, why would one want to be angry and consider him or herself a victim? Do you have a theory on that? It's a very hard question. I'm not even sure I have an answer. I know I have the question. I think a lot of people are insecure, right? I mean, they're, they're afraid of being great. They're afraid of ha taking accountability for their own actions, especially when they've made poor actions. And so if you were able to look at all of your failures in life and you feel the pain of your failures, but you can divert that attention to somebody else and then you can you can change that into righteous anger against the other person, then you alleviate that stress on yourself. And most people would like to dodge stress and dodge their own failures than to face them head on. And I think that that's the difference between people who are successful and people who are not. If you, the people who are successful, they say, you know what, the pain of what I've done or the things that my parents have done that put me in this position, I'm going to face them head on. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work myself out of this because I'm in a country that gives me that ability. And I think that a lot of people are gullible. A lot of people are sheep, unfortunately. There's not a lot of leaders in this country, in the world in general. And people who have a leader, uh, like a, a, I guess a, a, a uh, an ability to lead, if they are leading without integrity or they're leading without a godly mentality, they are leading and taking advantage of people. So you see these far left liberals who are very articulate, who are up in the food chain, they are using their opportunity to um, uh, brainwash other individuals to keep them at a lower position. Um, it takes real strong leaders like yourself and, and, and I and to actually speak to people and to get them on a, a separate idea, an idea of prospering and, and being successful. So you'll, I think you'll enjoy, I, I have a uh, concise theory. There are unhappy conservatives and unhappy uh, liberals or unhappy leftists. And the difference is the unhappy conservative says, life is hard for everybody. So some harder than others, obviously. 
but life is built in difficult. I, I'm, and I have made mistakes. So I, I, I look at life, I blame life, and I blame myself. The leftist who is unhappy says, I blame America. And, and, and that's really what it amounts to. And for some reason, that's appealing. Yeah, it's a theory. It's a theory that I learned in, in my uh, master's degree class for business leadership is internal locus of control and external locus of control. And so internal locus of control is obviously people can look within themselves to find out how how can I prosper or how is my life being projected? It's, it starts with me. Yeah. external is that no it starts with somebody else it's because my mom didn't get an education that's why or because systemic racism that's why versus saying no it, at the end of the day it comes down to me you know if i mm -hmm. just would have applied myself in high school like mm -hmm. i know i should have instead of running around with the kids that my mom told me not to run with i would have had a better education or i would have better grades i could have gone to college if i would have just applied myself even on a job that i had if i would have just gone on time every day and worked hard i've been successful and yeah. some people yeah. are afraid to admit that. that. That's the issue. Before I go to some questions from uh, from some of the Prager Force uh, young people for uh, either or both of us, uh, you said that your your dad, your mom is on board with you. Your dad is is not fully on the other side and not fully with you. And the reason is largely Donald Trump, whom you said he considers a racist. On what if you would say to your dad, or maybe I as a stranger, uh, just said, so, Mr. Tatum, uh, why do you say Donald Trump is is a racist? What would he answer? Well, so I don't know if my dad specifically is, oh, I, is, you, is caught up in the racist element. Oh, I of thought it. you had mentioned that earlier, that, that your dad thought he was a racist. But okay. Yeah, I don't think my dad thinks he's a racist. I think my dad is struggling with his leadership and character. My dad brought up a point of at some of these uh, press conferences of COVID-19, how it seems to be disgruntled. You know, I mean, this person talking, this person talking, and they contradicting each other. And my dad was a retired uh, fire chief in Waco, Texas, and he's, you know, he's a squared away guy, and he, he don't like Donald Trump's leadership style. Now, my dad is also not being fair, in my personal opinion, evaluating his accomplishments. So outside of the character that you don't like, he's not given his accomplishments a fair shake, in my personal opinion. So I, I've i talked to him plenty of times about Trump. and So he would not say he's a racist? I don't, no, I don't think he'd say Trump is a so racist. So do you know the answer that I, I have never gotten a clear answer? I, I read all, all the attacks. I read more on the left than I read on the right. I've never gotten the evidence for his being a racist. Do you know what is generally raised as, as oh, yeah. proof? I, I don't know. What, I, I what? know what's raised as proof. I mean, it's, it's ignorant and it's, and, it's, and not, it is what? it's baseless. It's the good people on both sides, Charlottesville argument. Right, they which received. by the way, we, we have a video at PragerU yeah. uh, show, that's a lie. He never said that. Right. He doesn't believe there were good Nazis. Right. <laughs> by the way, it just is such an obvious proof. His, his children and grandchildren, his, 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 his daughter and son-in-law and his grandchildren are Jews. Correct. The man would have to be beyond, uh, he would have to be a lunatic. I like people who want to kill my grandchildren. Right. That's what he would be. Mm -hmm. That's what we are accusing him of actually saying. Yeah, I mean, they, they bring up other stuff like when he said, you know, asshole countries, which is still to this day not verified. There well, the left says America's an asshole country. Right, exactly. And I that's guess that's the fine. irony. Right. And so, I mean, I've never, I have never seen any, any uh, unequivocal proof or any good argument to say that President Trump is a racist. Because before he was the president, nobody ever alluded to the fact, no, nobody on a, on a large scale alluded to the fact that he was a racist. I mean, he's seen in pictures with everybody. He loves everybody. And everybody loved him before right. he's running for office and became the president. Yeah. I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a lie. Okay, let's see. So we're going to go to a uh, video question, which I always do with the fireside chats. And the magic press never works on the first shot. Sometimes doesn't work on the second. Ah. Third time is a charm. Yeah, third time is a charm. I know that for many reasons. Okie doke, here we go. So I'm Spencer Schreiner from Indianapolis, Indiana. And obviously, beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana. 75 and sunny year round. Um, and I have really one pressing question I think everyone's thinking about during this uh, time of trouble 
and it's would you rather spend a night in Chaz or spend a night at a feminist film festival? Thank you. Did you catch that? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I'd say if I want to live, I'll probably uh, at the at the female festival, Fe- feminist film, feminist yeah. film, film festival, festival, right? Um, because Chaz seemed to have the highest murder per capita of black men in in, in the entire country, so. I wouldn't want to be in the Chaz zone, for sure. I'm with you, but I'm, I'm, you don't have to be black to answer that. I'd rather be at a feminist film festival because uh, in Chaz, I would be worried about survival. And at the feminist film festival, uh, if it's a, a comfortable theater, I could you know, have popcorn and take right. a nap, and it's not, not a problem. You, you may have some people screaming at you about the patriarchy and all that stuff. but Yeah, the patriarchy. Well, that, that's, that's, like sy- that's like systemic racism. Right. What does it mean, patriarchy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 60, what is it, 60% were approaching a 60-40 ratio of females to males in college. And it's still called a, a misogynist, right. patriarchal society. Right. You wouldn't even talk about the teachers who are teaching kids, especially in grade school, are primarily female. Um, overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, if evidence determined people's outlooks, almost everyone would be conservative. Right. Or at least no one would be left. Some people would still be liberal. Chloe, 17, North Carolina. Mr. Tatum. Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> what was your real awakening from the leftist propaganda pushing the false narrative of oppression of African Americans? What was my awakening? I think the biggest, my awakening came from Barack Obama pushing a false narrative against police officers which I saw manifest. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I saw it manifest. Because you got to think, I was a cop. Everybody's conservative. I'm a Democrat. And all of my friends on the SWAT team are like, dude, you're not a Democrat. You're not a Democrat. Look at your Christian values. Look at all these things. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a a Democrat. I may not agree with this, but I agree with that. But then after a while, they go, look at your boy. Look at Obama. Look at what he said about these police officers. Look at what he's doing out there. And, And our job is becoming increasingly more dangerous. And I said, you know what? I can never support anybody that won't stand up for the men and women that wear the uniform. And I said, I, I can never, I can never support them again or anybody else that's associated with that mentality. And for the first time in my life, I said, well, let me see what the Republicans have because the Democrats are, are far gone. And so that was pretty much my oh, awakening. That, that's, that's where it started. Right. That that makes a that makes a great deal of sense. So, uh, what's your take on defunding police forces? Yeah, I think it's the dumbest thing ever in, in, in mankind history. I mean, they, they don't really. The thing is, is that it's not just to defund. They want to eliminate the police, but it sounds so radical and stupid that they have to then say, no, we just want to defund. But they can't explain what are they going to defund? Are you going to cut pensions? Are you going to cut the, the child sex unit? Are you going to cut domestic violence? What exactly are you going to cut from the police department that's going to keep your community safe? So while retaining answer them? this one. Did you were you ever called in in a domestic uh, dispute? Uh, I lost count. I mean, hundreds okay, of times. Okay, fine. Good. So they say, why do we need police to go for a domestic dispute? We could send a social worker. Yeah. What's your answer to that? Because I don't, I have an answer, but it's not based on any experience. You have an experiential answer. Right. If you, if you want to be vicariously responsible for the death of a social worker in a domestic violence situation, then go ahead and send them in there. Domestic violence calls are the most dangerous calls that police officers go on hmm. because people turn. When you go to the, the house, the woman could be beat up and her husband could be sitting there. When you go to arrest him, she, her feelings change. And then it becomes a violent situation or he leaves and comes back. That's the most dangerous call to go to. But people who have never policed in a, a day in their life, never done a ride along, they have no idea what they're talking about. And so they're going to get these people hurt or killed. You have to not only be trained to deal with an individual, but you need to have the tools on, a, on, on your toolkit just in case it goes south. Because... Talking doesn't work for everybody. And so I hope people realize that. That's right. It seems to me to be very naive. Raghav, 22 years old, Gorakhpur, India. How can we win this cultural war by canceling the cancel culture? Will America be a meritocracy system with second chances as it used to be? Well, Raghav, first I'm glad you're there. Been to India four times, by the way. I, I love visiting, uh, love visiting India. America is, to people like you, is the beacon of freedom on earth. It's why the French gave America the Statue of Liberty and no other country. And the left 
which has never supported liberty uh, ever, liberals do, and conservatives do. The left has always destroyed liberty. There is no exception to that. If you love liberty, you're not on the left. So uh, our battle, Raghav, is your battle. You are entirely right. If America fails, if the left brings this country down, and it is very possible it will, if it does, the amount of cruelty on earth that will ensue will mean a new dark ages in human history. If you want to comment on that, that's fine. If I not, we'll go to... perfect. What you said was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have said it any better. So... Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Noel, 21, Eastman, Georgia. How do we educate people about issues like BLM, abortion, etc., even though our social media posts will most likely be reported and taken down? What would you say to that? I think sharing... See, this is the thing... And I, and I have to say this, and this could be a level of black privilege that I have, but when, when African-American or black conservatives speak on certain topics, I haven't had any of my videos taken down, not, not one of them. And people have a hard time calling me a racist. It's, it's very difficult, or a white supremacist, you know, believe it or not, they have a hard time doing that. So I think what young people can do if you happen to not be black is share some of the information from black um, conservatives. Therefore, it'll open up an opportunity to have a conversation. It will not be taken down. And, and it's very hard for somebody to deem that conversation as being in racist. So I think that we all have to work together in ways that we can and push in, you know, some of the messaging forward because it is very hard as a white man or a white young man, woman in America to give your, your statements. And that's why we all need to come together and, and, and put out the positive information. That's right. Also, you just got to keep doing it. We have to uh, inundate uh, the, 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 the internet with goodness, kindness, and all, all the good things that we stand for. They stand for bad stuff. The left is bad. And when people understand that, you, you have a choice in life. Do you cower to the bad like Nike and Amazon in fact, virtually every uh, major uh, corporation who, uh, there, there's a contest in America, who are the biggest cowards, college presidents or heads of big business? It's a very tough competition, but uh, they're, they're almost all competing. So you, Noel, you, you, you have a choice and it's a tough one, I admit it. It really is a tough one. Do you fight? or not. I took a vow, you'll find this touching, because I, I went to Normandy many years ago, and I was very moved. Thousands of crosses, virtually all of them, you know, late teens, early 20s, horrible death on Normandy Beach fighting the Nazis. And I looked at them and I took a vow, and I did, and I, I don't often take vows. And I said to myself, if these guys could die to preserve America and preserve liberty, the least I could do is live. I'm not, I'm not asked to die, to live to preserve America and liberty. And that's, that's what you have to do. They take it down, you put another one up. And, and that, that's just the way it is. And, and you confront them, you take it down because you can't answer me. That's why, you're the villain, not me. Wanna debate? I'd love to debate you, why don't you debate? Why do you only smear? That's all the left does is smear. I'm sure you get a lot of smears. Yeah, yeah, but I, I look at it like this. You're planting seeds. That's you right. You just gotta remember, you're not gonna convert everybody overnight. And just right. like the gospel or whatever, you, you're not gonna convert people overnight. You just keep putting that information out there. Just keep putting it out there. Even if even if you change one person, you, you may change the next president. That, you know, so yes. keep putting it out there and over time other people will water it, you know, you know, maybe they'll hear me or they hear somebody else or they or they'll have their own experiences with the left that make that turns them off and then eventually all of those seeds will begin to sprout in a person and, and they may change 20 years, 30 years. You, they may never come back and tell you, but you've made an impact and you know you have if you actually plant the seeds. That's correct. We have to plant seeds. All right, final question here. Sadie, 16 years old, Mason, Michigan. What do you think of the people who painted over the BLM mural getting charged with a hate crime? 
You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it was horrible. I mean, why would why would you charge them with a hate crime? I don't understand. I don't understand that. It's it's, su- it's such hypocrisy, because if you are going to say that BLM, that painting on the ground, that 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 means nothing. I, you know, it's just paint on the ground. You're going to say that that is uh, worthy of a hate crime. But what about when they spray paint and they destroy all the monuments? I feel like that that is hateful as well. I feel like that's disrespectful to the, well, to the founding that, fathers. I'm sure. I, I, I just on the record, I think that tearing down a statue of of George Washington or, or Lincoln, who liberated slaves, uh, is a bit more hateful even than a movement which is a very hateful movement. Right. The concept that Black Lives Matter is not hateful, but the movement with that name is. Uh, also, what if somebody erased a uh, a uh, 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 you know, abortion is murder. Some there, there was a, somewhere painted abortion. If somebody erased that, would they be charged with a hate crime? Right, they wouldn't. Let me, let me, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Two things. If somebody put White Lives Matter on that same street, right underneath or next to Black Lives Matter, people will destroy it and do all kinds of things to it and nothing right. will happen. Yeah. And, and they should be equally set. Same- or, 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 more, or more even pertinent, Blue Lives Matter. Right. Even in Arizona, in, in in Tucson, the mayor of Tucson will not allow there to be a Blue Lives Matter painting. It's just, I think, a blue line painted in the front of the police station. But they will allow Black Lives Matter to be painted everywhere. And they have an intersection. Really? They have an intersection, an LGBTQ intersection that they painted uh, rainbow colors. And they won't let you put a blue line in front of the police station. It's shameful. And I'll say this about the statues because I think people are not rationalizing this. They take it down, turn out all these statues. Police aren't doing anything. Nobody's really standing up for anything. I think the president, obviously, he's trying to do his best. But if they were to go and tear down Martin Luther King statue, do you think that the police would not intervene? Do you think that people wouldn't say anything? Do you think that people wouldn't be swiftly arrested, taken to jail, and probably bludgeoned by a crowd of individuals? And so what is going on with the hypocrisy? You shouldn't take down any monument because I'm just as upset you taking down Lincoln as I am if you took down Martin Luther King. You shouldn't do it. It's against the law, for starters, and it's burning books, you would say. They're trying to erase history, and I, and I, I think it's shameful. You're a good man. You're a good man. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning for good men like you. Well, so. That's very sweet of you to say, but you are, and you uh, you give people hope. I, I am asked now more often than any time in my life, uh, Dennis, uh, is there reason for hope for America? And, and there are thousands and th- millions of reasons. The good people who don't buy the lies and, 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 and the evil that surrounds us. But a handful are called, apparently, and you're one of them, and I, I have no reason to say this other than to encourage you and to let you know uh, of of this special man. So God bless you. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a joy. <laughs> so see you next week. Dennis Prager here with Brandon Tatum at the Fireside Chat. Thank you for watching. If you'd like to keep these Fireside Chats free, please do by donating to PragerU.